Welcome to the Teachers Podcast in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in. In this episode, I was very privileged to interview Laura Lodge from One Education, who are actually based in Manchester. Now, Laura is a literacy stroke English consultant and she works across schools predominantly in the Northwest. So I met Laura for the first time just before the interview, although we had had a really good chat on the phone prior to that. And she was very kind because she travelled over all the way from Manchester, which I really appreciated because I'm trying to squeeze so much in right now like including a million podcast interviews. Um, and we're also kindly hosted by Moorside Community Primary School in Halifax, which is actually my old school, although they've just moved into a brand new building. And it's also the closest school in proximity to our head office as well. So fingers crossed, it's the start of a beautiful relationship. So if you actually watch the YouTube video of the interview as well, you'll see inside their beautiful new library, which I really liked. Um, so Laurie's really knowledgeable about reading and during the interview she talks about the reading award that all schools across the UK can get involved in and I also probe her for expert tips for teaching children to infer because I thought oh that's that's a really difficult one and I just wanted to extract that knowledge for you all so I think you'll find that really interesting to listen to. So during the interview, Laura mentions uh, events and websites and you can find them in the show notes for easy access. So let's get to the interview. Laura, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Obviously, the listeners will probably be new to you, so I thought it'd be really helpful if you could just give us a background of your teaching experience, how you got into teaching and where you are now. Yep. Thank you for having me as well. So I originally didn't, I'll be very honest, didn't want to be a teacher at the start. You know, I've never dreamed of being a teacher as a child. Um, But I went to uni, did art history and decided to become a volunteer because I wasn't really sure of what I wanted to do. Um, So I started volunteering for a company called Reach Out, which partners students and children who need mentoring in primary schools. Um, And I worked with a fantastic child uh, for about a year and saw the difference that little bits of teaching could make to her in those light bulb moments. So she really struggled with a math and a reading and I could see her become much more confident with my help. So that made me want to go and do a PGCE. So I did that and then went straight into teaching in Manchester in the city centre. Um, and then quite quickly after my NQT year started going into SLT roles and leading literacy and leading key stage two. Um, I really, I was very lucky that I was really well developed by my particular head teacher at that time who wanted to push us on. Um, So I started working with the cluster and doing some training for the cluster. And then I decided I wanted to look for something, something new somewhere else outside of that cluster of schools. Um, And then I saw this job for one education um, and became an education consultant. Um, And it was after quite a period of illness. I've been off work for about four months. Um, 
pretty much unable to get out of the house and there's nothing like being off work mm -hmm. performance to make you change your viewpoint and think mm -hmm. actually no be a bit braver yeah. go and take a chance rather than staying where you're comfortable so I went for this job and I haven't looked back since so would you ever go back into teaching then definitely um, I really miss the kids um, I don't miss every aspect of the job, but I've always wanted to go back into teaching. And when I joined One Education, I always thought that it would be for a couple of years and then go back in. I'm on year three now. Um, so I've not gone back in quite as soon as I thought I would, but it's still on the card. I still want to do it. But I am happy where I am at the moment because I learn so much from going into all different schools every day of the week. Mm -hmm. So some some weeks I might go in 10 different schools over the course of a week and you pick up so much from each school, no matter whether they're good, outstanding or requires yeah. improvement or inadequate. You pick up things from schools. So I don't necessarily want to stop doing that just yet. Yeah. But I've always wanted to go back into teaching. I do think it really helps you as well because I used to do lots of day-to-day -day supply and I learned so much from lots of different schools. And, and I know that when um, when we have teachers coming to Classroom Secrets, I really admire if they've done supply in different places because talking to some other sort of friends I've got that have been in the same school, sometimes they don't kind of have the same understanding. No, I'd agree. I think you have to have a wide bank of knowledge as a teacher to do your job excellently. That's not to say that you can't stay in one place and do it fantastically, but you've got to understand how in one school the things that you do might not work the same way. Yeah, yeah. And that ability to be cognizant of that and change what you're doing and adapt your practice to suit those children that you're teaching yeah. that very day. Yes, because it can change, can't it, through different years. But I think it's not about staying in the same school, is it? It's just no. about having the opportunities to go to different schools and exactly. see what they're doing yeah. as well. You can stay in the same school as long as you make sure that you're trying to get out there and see how other people do it. Yeah. Because um, I think sometimes we can become a little bit insular and just do it our school's way. And it's good to see how other people do it. Yeah, it is. So you've mentioned One Education. So I'm assuming the listeners might be thinking, what is One Education? Yep. So One Education is the company that I work for. They are an education um, consultant and services company, uh, a little bit like a one-stop shop for education. So everything that we do is very much designed to support school development. Mm -hmm. um, and our motto is putting children first. So everything that we do links back to that. It's about make, helping schools make change yeah. so that they can support the children that they're teaching. Um, the, the business is split into four areas. So we've got school business management, which is HR, ICT, finance, and lots of other things I've not mentioned. Um, we've got SEND, which is obviously, as it says on the tin, SEND support, um, including speak, uh, speech and language therapy. We've also got welfare, which is safeguarding, attendance, emotional trauma support, educational psychologists. And then finally, we've got my area, which is teaching and learning. So that goes from anything kind of broader, so school development-wise, curriculum, to literacy, which is where I'm mainly based, music, um, absolutely all sorts. We, we tend to try and do, if a, school, if a school comes to us for something, we will try and make sure we can set them up with an expert that can support them. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a lot of staff in-house. We also have a bank of associates who work with us, who also work for themselves mm -hmm. that we can draw on. Okay. So you've mentioned working in different schools and I just wondered what, how do they compare with the kinds of support that they need and how much support they need? Very, very different. Uh, I'd say every single school I go into 
is completely different to another. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you might get five schools in a term ask you to support with their guided reading teaching. Mm -hmm. Every one of them will need something different. So something we pride ourselves on is, is being bespoke, mm -hmm. very bespoke to that school. Um, we get schools who are just wanting to celebrate and tweak things that they've already got going. Uh, we also have schools who are maybe in a quite a difficult situation. Mm -hmm. um, who've had maybe an Ofsted inspection that hasn't gone as well as planned or maybe a set of results at this point of the year. We tend to get some schools say, can you come in and help us because we don't know where we've gone wrong. Yeah. Um, and we get a lot in the middle. And we also get schools who just need a little bit of support for a particular member of staff who might be going through something quite challenging at school and need a bit more support. So it can be very varied. It's never the same, even going into a school. I mean, I'm in one school next week for three days straight, which is quite unusual. Mm -hmm. And I know every single day will be different, even yeah. though I know we've planned what we're doing because we're constantly changing what we're doing to suit, yeah. which I think works. is um, important. So you've obviously mentioned that you want to go back into teaching. So how much time do you actually spend in school each week and how do you keep sight of what it's actually like to be a teacher? So we're really lucky because we spend, I would say, about 90% of our week in school. Some weeks it can be 100%. Other weeks we might have a day to prep something, but generally we'll be in school a lot. Um, but what we pride ourselves in, at least the, especially the school development team, is that, for instance, the literacy team, we're very small, but all of us are very recent teachers and we... Mm -hmm pride ourselves on the fact that we go back in and we make sure we actually do teach each week mm -hmm. so although I'm not I don't I don't say that it's the same as doing it day in day out because it's not every week I will do at least some teaching either with the group or as a team teach lesson or as a coaching as a model lesson so we do keep our foot in the door mm -hmm. and that's what we really try to do every single week because we need to understand yeah how it is for a teacher to be able to give them advice that they can actually run with. And one of our team um, actually splits her time. So she does three days with us and then two days as a year six teacher. Right. So that's been great as well because she's obviously on the front line half of the week, yeah. trying things out and learning as a teacher on the job as well as an education consultant. And I guess that's good for the whole team as well, isn't it? It really? is because we, we draw on her as, you know, as somebody who is still in their day to day. Yeah. Okay, so obviously we had a conversation before um, and you talked to me about Reading Gems and the Reading Award yeah. and I just thought it'd be really good if you could tell us you know, what it is and why schools would want to get involved. Yeah, so I'll start off with Reading Gems and then I'll move on to Reading Award because it, mm -hmm. it kind of flows. So the Reading Gems are basically our system for teaching reading. Mm -hmm. um, it's our structure. I wouldn't say it's a system that we stay, stick with every time because, as I said, we try and make it bespoke to every school. Mm -hmm. um, so the reading gems at the heart are essentially the content domains for reading. Right, yeah. Um, taken from the test framework for Key yeah, Stage yeah. 1 and Key Stage 2. And what we've done is we've tweaked those, made them child-friendly and added enjoyment and decoding. Mm -hmm. And we've also created a very simplified version for EYFS. And... Basically, it's about a big bank of question stems that then in our Reading Gems journey as a guided reading session, you would use to structure your questioning. Um, so Reading Gems is more than just those question stems, but that's where it starts off from, because we believe that guided reading teaching, whether you do it whole class, carousel, somewhere in between, it has to be about giving children the skills to read. Mm -hmm. We quite often go into schools who need a bit of support with reading, who are really just giving the children lots of questions. 
they're giving them a comprehension and get, they might be reading it together and talking a little bit, but it's, let's just do the questions. And that's, that's important and that's good. But there's lots of guidance out there, like the EEF guidance reports for Key Stage 1 and Key Stage 2, that say you need to teach those skills as well. So a child needs to be able to know what it is to retrieve information. They need to know what it is to be able to make a prediction and the skills that they need to be able to do that. Because reading is such a fundamental skill, it's not just something for school. It's a key skill for life. And I know you're not necessarily going to be doing comprehension questions or a key stage two SATs paper later in your life, but you are going to be inferring things every day. You definitely need to be able to yeah. infer. Yeah, you're going to be able. To, you're going to have to retrieve information every day, and just the amount, like the amount of reading that is in this room that we don't notice that we're doing because mm -hmm. it's automatic to us. Yeah. We've got to be aware of the fact that it's not automatic no. to a child. So we've got to give them the skills so that they can become a resilient reader. Mm -hmm. It's quite often it, it becomes, let's get them through the book bands, let's get them to the year six test. And it's more than that. They need to be resilient so that anything that they come across reading wise, they know they've got the skills to be able to at least make some meaning from it. Yeah. So it's like if I gave, I'm presuming you didn't do physics at university because I didn't either. <laughs> it's like giving us a, a university physics textbook. We're not going to get 100% understanding, but because we've got reading skills and we understand how to retrieve and how to decode and make those links between vocabulary, we can try and pull some meaning out of it. Yeah. So it's kind of looking at it that way. So I guess as well, you know, there's a lot of talk, isn't there, especially on social media of, oh, I learned this at school and I didn't need it. Yeah. But reading is really opposite to that. Actually, it's the one yeah. thing that you really do need and you do need to be able to infer. Mm -hmm. And I know that when I was in the classroom, I felt that sometimes children got it or they didn't get it. So how would you teach a child to infer? So taking inference, the hardest one of all of them. Yes. Um, That's why I picked it. I know. <laughs> But the way, the way to look at inference is not to say reading between the lines. I think lots of us say that, you know, what is inference? It's reading between the lines. But if I asked you to actually explain what reading between the lines is, automatically it's a really hard thing to define. So it's going deeper than that. It's, it's breaking it down and saying to a child, right, it might be what I can see or what I think, what I know. And then from each component part of that, what do I think? So if I was making an inference about a character, I might have seen in a picture book, I might see a picture of the character, they might have a particular impression on their face. So I would use that, I'd look at the text, the text might say, Harriet said in a calm voice. So then I take that little bit that I know because it's written there and what I see because I can see it on her face and then I make an inference as to how she is feeling. So breaking it down for children rather than going, let's just make an inference and let's just guess. Because I think sometimes a lot of reading ends up being guesswork. Yeah. And if I go back to how I was taught at school, I had some fantastic teachers, but I don't remember being taught to read. Yeah. I remember being given a book yeah. and reading. And then all of a sudden, when you got to a certain age, it just kind of the penny dropped yeah. with inference. Yeah. Exactly. And I was really lucky because I've always found reading easy. But for children, not just children who find it a challenge, I think we have to break things down. So giving them graphic organisers to organise the thoughts about it, mm -hmm. getting them to think, giving them the ideas of thinking aloud. So I think the best thing in a teacher's arsenal is their ability to verbalise what's going on in their heads. Yeah. And I also think, like you said, you know, thinking about what they know and then what do they think from that. Yeah. 
you can ask a child that, but sometimes you do have to break it down and say, but what do you actually know? Because exactly. sometimes they'll say, what do you know? And and you're thinking, the cogs must be turning. They're just sat yeah. there blank. Which is why it's so important to, to constantly model going back to the text and going, actually, of all the of all the skills, retrieval is the is the easiest one when you've got an age-appropriate text that you can decode. It can also be very hard. Yeah. But it's saying, right, well, that what you know is our retrieval. So we're not thinking about it. We're looking for something. We're finding something. You could even do fastest finger first, and they've got to put their finger on where it is in the text. Yeah. And then from that very specific piece of information, what can we draw out of that? Yeah. And that's where I think really good reading teaching, whole class or otherwise, is as real strength. It's when you take the chance to, to unpick and look at that think mm. part of inference. Get them talking in their groups, get them talking in pairs. What do we actually think? And get them to really break it down and then decide, well, that's my inference, rather than just grasping for the first thing they, that they can think of. Well, thank you. That I think that's just going to be amazing for everyone listening to just sort of try it out and my daughter's only three, but I'm definitely going to, you know, try out some of those no, things fact. when I'm reading them anyway. And and what about the reading award? So the reading award is a set of criteria. It's a bit like a, a kite mark uh, for schools to work towards. That's basically looking at good reading teaching. So it doesn't force a school into a particular way of teaching reading. Okay. It's split into three stra three strands, reading for decoding, reading for understanding and reading for enjoyment. And it's basically a set of criteria that they can work towards and use to inform their teaching and where they're going to go next. So it looks holistically at the whole curriculum. So from pupils to parents to actually what's going on in the lessons. Mm -hmm. And we thought it was really important that we gave reading for enjoyment just as much, if not more, impetus and import than the rest. Yeah. So that's why we've got a whole strand for it. So is this is this just in Manchester or is this for every school in the UK? Or? It's for every school in the UK. Um, we mainly work with schools in the northwest, but we do have we've got schools in Coventry, we've got schools in Scunthorpe, um, in London. Basically any school that has gone on and found the Reading Award and, and decided to want to work towards it. Mm -hmm. So we have over 70 schools working for it at the moment, wow. uh, which is fab because we only started it. It started just as I joined the company, so three years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's built up from obviously zero, so yeah. it's fantastic. Um, and schools can work towards bronze, silver or gold. So it fits any school at any point in their journey. We get some schools wanting to come in at gold and we only want gold yeah. because they want to quite rightly celebrate what they do. Yeah. Um, and then we have other schools who recognise that possibly they need a little bit more support and schools have the opportunity to buy us in for bespoke support in school if they want to yeah. or they can do it on their own. Um, so there's more details on the One Education website about the Reading Award if any schools are interested. Thank you. And I'll make sure they're in the show notes as well for anybody who is driving right now. Thank you. That's good. Okay. So do you have any events coming up? Yes, we do. We have our biggest event of the year on the 9th of October. Um, and that is a literacy conference. So that's our fourth annual conference. And we're going from strength to strength. We've had lots of different themes over the years. This year's is literacy across the curriculum. So we'd actually planned it before the new Ofsted framework came out, but it's great that we've got that focus on curriculum as well. Yeah. So we've got three keynote speakers and a choice of workshops over the day. Okay. So every delegate gets to see the three keynotes and they get to see two workshops of their choice. Um, so our three keynotes are 
Rob Carpenter, who's the Inspire Partnership CEO. Mm -hmm. He's talking to us about building language and breaking down barriers across the curriculum by ensuring that your language teaching is there. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got Carl Duke, who's a head teacher at Blight and Cumlawton CE Primary School, who does his whole curriculum around books. Wow. So every single strand of the curriculum is linked to a book. So he's going to be inspiring us with those. And then we have Vashti Hardy to close the day. So a fabulous author, author of Bright Storm and Wild Spark. Mm -hmm. And she's coming to talk to us about the power of story um, across the curriculum and linking her themes in her books, such as Explorers, to how the curriculum can be sequenced in a way that engages and inspires children. Wow. So how, how do we go? So if you go onto the One Education website, there is a whole events page. You can see more about workshop hosts, keynote speakers. And we've actually got an early bird offer at the moment. So it's £169 a ticket. Mm -hmm. um, but we'd like to offer Classroom Secrets listeners an extra £10 off a ticket. So oh, wow. if they contact and just reference Classroom Secrets, then they can get a little bit of an extra That's discount. Amazing. That was a little bit of a surprise for me. So thank you. And I'll make sure that it's in the show notes about, about the discount as well. That's fantastic. Oh, thank you. It's not for me, but thank you. Um, so if you could, this is a hard question, mm -hmm. but I like to ask everybody this. So if you could wave a magic wand to solve the work-life balance problem, mm -hmm. or as we like to call it, life-work yes. balance problem, how would you do that? Well, it is a very hard question, but it's also an easy one. And I suppose it's the one thing that everybody's going to say, funding. If we could make sure our schools are properly funded, then that would give schools the opportunity to make sure that staff can have less contact time, time to plan at work, time to meet, time to do their feedback and make a difference to the children outside of their home life. But when you, when you say funding and it's because, you know, teachers could have more non-contact time yeah what does that look like how you know what I know that it's kind of like finger in the air mm -hmm. but what would you like to see like how much non-contact time should teachers have for it to be in you know a nine to five kind of yeah. ratio I think it depends on the role of the teacher at the time so for obviously NQTs have got less contact time mm -hmm. they've got 80 percent which is better Okay, and ideally you'd want everybody as a minimum, I think, to have 80%. Yeah. However, I know also school teachers have got diff other jobs to do. So if you are a SENCO or you're an English lead, yeah. I go into lots of schools who do, they try their very, very best to make sure that their subject leads have time, mm. but it's never enough. No. And that was one of the reasons why I did decide to do this job was because you're always spinning, spinning plates as a teacher. And it means that you try your hardest to do everything as equally well, yeah. but you can never keep all those plates spinning no. at the same time. So it's looking at, well, what is this teacher's responsibilities? If they're the literacy lead, English is a huge curriculum area to lead, especially if you're leading it by yourself. Mm -hmm. They need the time in the school day to be leading. They need release time to be able to do monitoring yeah. and to be able to support staff. So it's it's looking on a case by case basis, but as a minimum, I would hope we could do eighty percent. Yeah, I mean you've been really lenient because I kind of think if if I had to say what my ideal would be is that teachers teach in a morning or an afternoon, yeah. Yeah. and they're either responsible for maths and English or they're responsible for reading and everything else. Mm -hmm. But that 
that's what I think. But then that kind of doubles the budget everywhere. And I know that's not going to happen. No. And I think, you know, if it was an absolute magic wand, then I would probably say less than 80%. But I'm still in that hope that somewhere some someone is listening. You see, your magic wand is like almost possible, whereas mine's probably just a bit too far. <laughs> Maybe we can meet in the middle. Maybe. Somewhere do there. You, do you know all we need? We need somebody who's been a teacher as the education secretary, and then we might get That would somewhere. be really helpful, like in yeah. Canada. Yeah. Yes. And I do understand, because not many teachers might want to be an MP. Well, I do understand there is a difficulty there, but well, I think it would help a great deal. There, if anybody wants to now yeah. be an MP, that's yeah. a really good idea. It is. <laughs> <laughs> We're changing the world together. We will. Um, so who's your favourite teacher and why? So my favourite teacher was... A man called Mr. Shaw, and he is actually retiring this year. Oh, wow. So he was so hopefully my... hopefully he's listening right Hopefully now. he's listening. I am going to contact my old school and say I'm giving him a bit of a shout-out. Um, so he was my history teacher through the best part of high school. Mm-hmm. And I just... He ignited everything I ever loved about history. He's the reason why, you know, if I can choose a book to read now, I will read a history book. And... He was somebody who, I think, if you were in his classroom, you could, he could be quite divisive mm. because he would be stood on tables. I remember being taught about Marie Antoinette entertaining the soldiers um, wow. by him getting onto the desks and walking down pretending to be Marie Antoinette entertaining the soldiers while we were all sat around him. He, one of my friends had a very, very long hair. She could sit on her hair. And I remember once he used her hair to pretend that he was executing her. And yeah, you see, I could be a bit divisive, but fantastic. But you also remember it. Exactly. He he inspired a love of history because he brought it to life. Mm. Um, and you know, having your friends, another friend, pretend to have the head chopped off with a hockey stick is always going to stick with you. Yeah. <laughs> but in a positive way, it was never it was never a negative. He just that was his way of making that he teaching brought it to life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're listening, Mr. Shaw. Well done, well done for inspiring so many children who are now adults. Um, So what do you wish you'd known when you first started out in teaching? So I think I wish I'd known how I wasn't just going to have to be a teacher, how I was going to have to be a social worker, housing support, everything, you know, counsellor. It's so much more than teaching. And I wish that's something I wish non teachers knew how much it isn't just going in front of a class and teaching that day. You know, it's not just planning the lessons and marking. It's definitely not about the holidays. It's about everything you have to do to support all those children every step of their life through school. Yeah. And one thing I think with that is also the way you feel in those situations. So you want to do the best you can to help. But then it's also that, that little sort of thought in your mind, like, I need to sort this out and I want to be there for you. And now I'm going to have to spend another how many hours till midnight getting this done exactly because I'm not leaving school till six and I haven't had time to do any of my marking yeah and it's kind of all those extras like the job if it was just teaching is already too much exactly and then all this on top it's 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 really difficult and it's so hard and with teaching and I know a lot of other jobs have this as well things stick with you I'd never and I still don't feel like I ever switch off Because you're always thinking about the kids. You're always thinking about your next planning session. And I know every st- every job has its stresses, but I think you take some of the big things that happen to your children and they affect you mm-hmm. in a way that possibly when you're working nine to five, you don't necessarily have that. 
Yeah, depending on, on which job you've got, yeah. yeah. And I do think, um, so obviously we employ a lot of ex-teachers and yeah. um, sometimes they find the transition quite hard and we kind of have mm. to help them through. Yeah. And we kind of like monitor if mm. they're online yeah, on an great. evening. Yeah. And why are you online now? Because you're not going to be very effective. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah, but I just thought I'd, well... Mm. No, because that's not life with balance. Exactly. And it is difficult to kind of get yourself out of that. It's a learned habit, isn't it, really? It is, and I still find it very hard not to. Um, I've always, my partner always says that I'm hard to live with the first two weeks of summer because I'm on the come down. Yeah. And somebody said on Twitter, it's like a diver coming up too quickly and getting the bends oh, right. yeah, as yeah. to what it feels like as a teacher to be off at summer. <laughs> yeah, because you just don't know what to do. Yeah, I need something to do, I can't yeah. not. Or if you do plan it out, then you end up with no money at the end of it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there needs to be a bigger pay packet in August. Yeah. Um, so what are the three biggest changes that you feel you've seen in education mm-hmm. during the time you've been in it? Yeah, I think, funnily enough, one of the, big, one of the ones that I think has the capacity to be a biggest change is a new framework for Ofsted that's just come out. Okay. Because it doesn't, it hasn't had time to be a big change yet. Mm-hmm. But if that focus on curriculum and teaching of the individual child mm-hmm. rather than just data filters yeah. through, because the problem is at the moment, Ofsted are saying that local authorities aren't necessarily at the same point in their viewpoint. Yeah. And we all need to get on the same page. If we all get on the same page, I think it will prove to be a huge change in education. Yeah. But it's it's kind of up in the air at the moment. Yeah. It depends. Uh, and, you know, I think it's just really important, the communication. So mm-hmm. one of the issues I have and something I talk about when I'm talking about the Life Work Balance campaign mm. is the fact that Ofsted can say something on Twitter and go, oh, we don't need this anymore. We don't yeah. need X, Y and Z anymore. But he never filters down nope. because head teachers have still got that fear and they don't really believe them. And I understand why, because I also think that it's not very consistent because no, I, I hear all sorts of things like, oh, we really liked it when you used these resources. Oh, they didn't like it when mm-hmm. you used these resources. Well, and th- that could be two schools next door, but it was different inspectors. Exactly. And it's difficult. It kind of needs to be fed down to the head teachers because if I were a head teacher, mm-hmm. and in some ways I kind of feel like a head teacher yeah. because um, you know I've got so many staff that are ex-teachers, I certainly wouldn't, if I didn't think that I believed them, I wouldn't change anything. I'd be like, no, 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 we are still doing all this. We're still doing yeah. X, Y, and Z. And so that, yeah, yeah, I'll get off my soapbox now. I completely agree with you, though. Thank you. So where do you think education needs to go in the next 10 years? So I think it's got to carry on being more pupil-centred. It's got to be better at that. At the moment, it's still very much a child as a number. And I think the starting point for that is the fact that at the end of year six, your child gets a slip of paper that says they've met the expected standard or they haven't. And I don't think that's very pupil-centred. Mm. It should be a celebration of all those things those children have achieved over school. And we as an, as an education community need to think, what do we want to put in place for those children as they go through school so that they become socially responsible adults? We don't just want children who can read and write and do maths. Yes, we want all of those things, but we also want children who are responsible with money. We want children who know when to speak up about things that they disagree with. And I don't think at the moment our curriculum necessarily spends as much time on those social aspects as it could. And something that I think is going in the right direction is the focus on mental health. So one of my uh, jobs year to year is to as, as teachers say it, be the SATS police. 
So I have to go in and, and monitor and invigilate over Sats Week. And it's really hard seeing some children who can't really cope with that doing a test. Pressure, yeah. And it doesn't matter how much preparation the school's done. It doesn't matter how, you know, even if you got rid of the tests or changed the tests, there are still a lot of children out there, whether they've got specific mental health needs or not, who really struggle with mm. challenges and challenging situations. Yeah. So I think by having the training that they've announced today, that's going in the right direction. But it will only get better if we spend more time educating the individual child all the way through school. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously it's important that teachers should have an awareness, but it's for me, it's them not being responsible, but they have an awareness so they know, you know, they can exactly. deal with it if they need to, but not being the sole responsible person. No, because it just adds to what we were saying before. It's, yeah. it's adding another, you've been the mental health expert yeah. to your raft of jobs. But it's having that awareness. And I think having some funding there to train people is going in the right direction. Yeah. Um, but like we said, with the work, life work balance problem, we'd want schools to have less contact time, yeah. teachers to be able. And part of that is actually staff being able to talk to the children more. Mm -hmm. Quite often we're pushing and pushing to get through so many things and we try our best to have conversations with children. Mm -hmm. But how often do we have the time to sit down and have a really in-depth conversation with every single child in our class? Yeah. And I would say hand on heart, I don't think many people could say that they do that. No. Or at least not regularly. No. And that would be the first step, yeah. just being actually cognizant of what those children actually need. Yeah. Wow. So who is your inspiration in education? So that's a really tricky one because... Really, it's the people who do it day to day, which I, I can't say I'm one of them at the moment. At the moment. At the moment. Hope to be, again, and I'll, I'm keeping my foot in the door. But it is, it's the people who go out every day and do it. But on a wider level, I think the people who inspire me the most are the people who stand up for people who don't get the education they deserve at the moment. Mm. So... I don't, you know, not not specific names, just anybody who actually is braver than me because I do stand up for people, but I don't, I'm not an activist. Mm -hmm. I don't go and campaign. I wish I did. Um, I wish I was a little bit more brave about mm -hmm. it. But any of those people around the world, not just in the UK, who actually go, you know, you know, everybody deserves this education. Yeah. I'm going to support them getting it, mm -hmm. regardless of anything that might happen to me because of my views. Yeah, because, uh, you know, it can be quite dangerous as well. It can. Yeah. Very dangerous. Yeah. Um, so last question then. What did you want to be when you grew up, seeing as you definitely didn't want to be a teacher? I didn't want to be a teacher, no. Uh, I, for a long time, I wanted to, I was kind of split. First, I wanted to be an archaeologist. Oh. Uh, I was obsessed with time team. <laughs> um, really, for some reason. Didn't really see it. Just wanted to find things in the ground. Um, and went yeah, you weren't bothered what they were. No, preferably money. Yes, I was. I was in a real phase because I'm quite lucky. My my parents' house is in the middle of kind of some fields, and there were lots of old houses there originally. So there was always things for me to dig up and, and find. And then I went through a, another phase of wanting to be a costume designer after I saw Titanic. Right. Because I think it was the the red hair. Yeah. The, oh yeah, I can dress up in these lovely clothes and everything, but yeah, completely couldn't so. So, <laughs> starting point, no. <laughs> Design them, just not sort them. Well, that, that was what I would have liked to do, but it doesn't exist. No, no. So, <laughs> I've been through many different options across the, across the years. And do you feel like you found the right one? Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, I was talking to my partner the other day and saying I'm lucky in, in that I'm one of the few people who can say I'm doing something I'm really passionate about. Um, it doesn't mean that there's days that, you know, I wish I was doing something else and I wish I was going and drawing some fashion designs and dressing up. Do it on the side. Well, yeah, but again, I can't sew. So. <laughs> it's a non-starter. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me and amusing me at the same time and I'm sure the listeners as well. Um, so everything that we've talked about, I'm going to make sure that it's in the show notes. Um, thank, thank you so much. Thank you for having thank me. Mr Shaw, I really hope you were listening. Well done for being such an inspiring teacher and I hope that you're still climbing on desks. Just don't tell the site manager. It was a real pleasure to meet Laura. She is so passionate about reading and helping schools. So much so that she actually gave the library a quick tidy up before we started filming. Sorry Laura, I've dobbed you in. Please let me know if you try out Laura's suggestions for teaching inference. I really want these podcasts to be interesting but I also want them to give you great ideas to help your children learn. And I really want to know if they're useful. You can find links to all the websites and events that Laura mentioned during her interview in the show notes. I'm hoping to be at the One Education event in October, possibly interviewing some more podcast guests there. So hopefully both Laura and me will see you there. If you'd like to know more information about Reading Gems, the Reading Award, the literacy conference, or even just to get Laura into your school sharing what she knows, make sure that you do follow up and you visit oneeducation.co.uk. And don't forget about that discount code that she offered, which was a surprise to me. Just reference Classroom Secrets to get 10% off. And a special thank you again to Moorside Community Primary School for giving us the use of their space for filming. And that's it from me. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.